Okay, so it's 1130. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome actually to our final webinar of the winter webinar series. For those of you who this is your first time joining us, thank you for attending. If you'd like to see our previous webinars, they are posted on our website and we will uh, drop that link in the chat. Um, and for those of you who are returning, I see some uh, familiar names. Um, thank you so much for coming back uh, to see our series. Uh, my name is Ashley. I'm from an organization called Your Choice. We are a nonprofit organization uh, who focuses on drug and alcohol prevention education. And really my family started it after living through my brother's substance use. So you can see my mom there. Um, she is here today. And Katie is also here. She will be in our chat as well. And we are the three people who uh, are running your choice. And really it's just our mission to go out there and educate about substances. We do offer a number of programs, uh, both in person and virtually. And since COVID hit, we have put a lot of our stuff online. So after the webinar, if you want to learn more about us, you can check out our website. We have podcasts, recorded webinars, uh, educational videos, and blogs. Just a few housekeeping items. Uh, this is a webinar format. So we, as presenters, we can't see or hear you. So if you are having any problems with the technology, please feel free to drop it in chat and we are here to answer those questions. If you do have questions for our presenter, you should see a Q&A button on the bottom of your screen and you can drop your questions in there. We will be answering them at the end. And if you would like a certificate or a CEU for today's presentation, they are $15 and you can purchase them on our website if you haven't done so already. And lastly, I just want to thank our sponsors, Rosecrans, Pro Healthcare, Rogers, and Freydert Memorial or Freydert Medical College uh, for providing the funding to put on these webinars. And to Rosecrans for providing the CEU credits. So with that, I'm going to welcome up Luke. We actually had the pleasure of speaking with him and seeing him in person uh, back in August of 2019 up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And we were so blown away by his presentation uh, that we, when we were thinking of this series, we're like, we have to have Luke back. So welcome, Luke. I'm really excited uh, to share this with all of our attendees. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Ashley and Sandy and Katie and um, everyone there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me back. Um, I am so uh, grateful to be here. It's so funny, August of 2019, it seems like that was just last year because we've kind of had this huge vacuum of the pandemic from then to now. Um, so I, I hope that uh, for those of you who are jumping on and I thank you for giving us an hour of your time today uh, to hear, hear me out, hear my presentation. I hope you'll find it useful. Um, my name is Luke Niferatos. I'm, I'm actually from Colorado. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm raising now two kids. I had a second daughter a month ago. Um, so we're celebrating that, very excited. Um, so I've got two uh, little girls. Uh, my, my first is uh, four years old um, with my lovely wife. Uh, and um, you know we're experiencing legalization of marijuana firsthand. So everything you're gonna hear about today is gonna be from that perspective of personally living uh, legalization. So let me pull up my slides here. 
and you'll have to excuse me, I am coming down a little sick. Thank God it's not COVID, um, but I am a little sick. So if my voice sounds a little raw, um, excuse that. I am drinking a lot of water though. So I think we should be okay. All right, so can everybody see uh, my slides? Hopefully, hopefully we're good. <clears throat> Great. So today we're going to talk about the lessons learned from marijuana legalization. Before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about my organization, uh, SAM, which stands for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, um, really focused on two primary objectives. Uh, one is we want to educate the public on the harms and the consequences of marijuana and um, expanded use of marijuana. Um, and second is we want to promote health, public health-oriented policies that put people's health first, uh, not profits of an industry first. Um, so we'll fight for those kinds of policies, um, whether that's opposing legalization, which I get into, but means commercialization, um, or you know other kinds of more proactive reforms as well. Um, we are a national, actually international organization. We've got affiliates in other countries. Um, we're very small, but we've managed to kind of be be uh, you know scrappy with our lean resources. Um, and we've got affiliates basically in every state now. Um, we were co-founded by former Congressman Patrick Kennedy of the uh, Kennedy family. He was a congressman for Rhode Island, um, as well as my boss, our, our president, Dr. Kevin Sabet, um, who is a former three-time White House advisor, um, adjunct professor at Yale. Um, so we're very proud of our nonpartisan roots, working with people all across uh, different political perspectives. Um, and we're led by our science advisory board which are scientists and marijuana researchers from Yale and Princeton and Harvard, um, you know, University of Colorado, people who are doing real research on marijuana, they review all of our work, um, you know, help us kind of uh, put forth the most cutting edge science that we possibly can. That's what we predicate ourselves on is cutting edge 21st century science on marijuana. Um, and we're in the media and, and press and all throughout there. Um, you know, we've worked with a number of national associations. In fact, we just did a, a Zoom press conference this morning in New York, uh, where the American, the American Medical Association stood with us, which was really cool. So we worked with a wide variety of major national uh, medical associations and other associations, um, all of whom think it's a horrible idea to commercialize and legalize um, marijuana. Um, so we've got two sister organizations, SAM, I mentioned, SAM Action is our policy arm, they're our kind of sister organization to do policy, lobbying, advocacy, um, that's the 501c4. Um, so if there's nothing else you get out of this presentation, I hope you'll walk away with this. Um, right now, we're discussing marijuana legalization, and I know in your state of Wisconsin, uh, the governor's put forth a proposal um, to try to legalize this, and it's being couched in terms of either you legalize marijuana totally Colorado style, or you throw everyone in prison for a joint in their pocket. Um, and there's no in-between. And uh, we reject that. We call that the false dichotomy. Um, in reality, this issue can be broken down into three different buckets. The first bucket is, you know, do we think that people should be criminalized for low-level possession or use of marijuana? Um, and from our organization's perspective, we don't want to see a kid, you know, 14 years old, caught with a joint in their pocket, um, thrown into prison and having a permanent record. You know, we definitely support decriminalization to lower those offenses, um, you know, so folks aren't getting permanent records, uh, you know, for making mistakes and, and that kind of thing. But we think that folks who are caught with, you know, using it, if they've got addiction, if they, you know, they're, they need to be educated on marijuana and, you know, referred to treatment if they've got an addiction problem. So we kind of want to treat this a little more like a healthcare uh, issue, which is really what it is. Um, but that's one bucket of discussion, the criminalization. Uh, then the second bucket of discussion, and separate from the first, is 
you know, do we think there's medicinal use for marijuana and its various components? Now, let me tell you, there are over 500 components of the marijuana plant. Um, there's THC, which we know is the ingredient that gets you high. There's CBD, which I think probably everyone's heard about. Um, that does not get you high. Um, and there's a number of other components as well. So the question becomes, how do we want to, you know, address the medical issue? Um, right now in your state, they're not talking about medical marijuana, they're talking about recreational marijuana, it's important we distinguish those two. Uh, but from our organization's perspective, we want to see science lead the conversation, not these corporations. So when you see people voting to legalize you know, medical marijuana in other states, um, we don't vote on our medicines. Um, never in the history of this country have we had medicine by popular vote. You know, we didn't have ibuprofen clinics that were, you know, voted on by people or, or, or legislators. So our organization would like to see this go through the FDA process as every other medicine does. Um, the FDA has already approved, many of you may not know this, the FDA has already approved several marijuana-based medications like Epidiolex, which is pure CBD. You can get a prescription for that from your doctor today. Um, and uh, Marinol, which is pure THC, uh, which you can also get a prescription for. Um, so that is the right process here. We're, we're very concerned about kind of voting on what's called medical marijuana, which when you hear medical marijuana, it's the same thing as marijuana. I mean, marijuana is marijuana. They're doing the same products. So very important we distinguish those things. Um, but that is a second bucket of conversation. Um, and it's separate from the first, and it's also separate from the third, which is recreational marijuana, you know, do we think recreational marijuana should be legalized, um, which our organization, um, you know, does not want to see recreational uh, marijuana legalized. So the reason why I break these into three different buckets is because there, you know, a lot of times we'll hear, we're put, we're put, you know, we're throwing everyone in prison for a joint. So let's legalize recreational marijuana. But you can see those are two different issues, which we can address the issue of criminalization through decriminalizing marijuana without totally legalizing and commercializing marijuana. So we can't let those issues be conflated. In the same way as if you hear, and we hear this often, marijuana is medicine, so let's legalize it for recreational use. Okay, wait a second, those are two different issues you're conflating there. So hopefully this helps you break out these issues because there's a lot of conflation of them, particularly from advocates of legalization who will kind of say basically whatever they can to try to get it fully legalized. So hopefully this is helpful. Um, you know, I thought this was an interesting quote from The Economist. Um, they said, you know, while laboratory animals are an expensive way of understanding the risks of cannabis use, North Americans come free. Um, which, what does that mean? We are engaged in a massive experiment in this country. Um, states are just blatantly legalizing marijuana and unleashing this drug on the public, and we have no idea what the impact of that policy will be. And so we're just experimenting on free lab rats, which are the, the folks that are um, willing to purchase this stuff um, in these states. And so, you know, the, the point here being we're way ahead of the science. We should have let science drive this conversation and we should let uh, scientists drive this conversation through research, looking at the studies and the facts before we rush into a decision to legalize marijuana. Um, there is an association, I'm not going to spend a lot, a lot of time on this, but there is an association between marijuana use and COVID-19. Um, the Institutes of Health, as well as um, the WHO have all uh, told people to cease marijuana use during this pandemic because it actually can make you more at risk for a serious case of COVID-19. Very interesting, you can check that out. Um, the former US Surgeon General uh, interestingly issued the first Surgeon General's advisory related to marijuana in over 40 years. Um, this was last year he did this, uh, or excuse me, uh, about a year and a half ago now. Um, and he said that the marijuana of today is significantly more potent, which I'll get into, and much more dangerous than it's ever been. And he was particularly concerned because addiction rates are skyrocketing for marijuana across the country. And particularly, we're seeing increases in use of pregnant mothers and youth 
um, he was deeply concerned about that. So this is a very dangerous kind of uh, direction we're going right now with legalization, and we should listen to the warnings from some of our nation's top officials. Um, another interesting thing is if you think marijuana legalization is about you know, social justice or helping little guy, um, you can think again, big tobacco is driving this. And it's really interesting because you know, you can see the motto over my shoulder here, uh, on this side, flipped here. Uh, we said, you know, we say we're preventing another big tobacco. We thought it was going to be like big tobacco. We didn't actually predict that it was going to become big tobacco, but that is exactly what's happening. Fourth largest tobacco company on the planet is now invested in the marijuana industry. You go closer to home here, Altria Philip Morris. They own Philip Morris in Marlboro. They're the biggest big tobacco company um, in America. Um, they put over $2 billion now into the marijuana industry. Um, and we just learned this. This is hot off the presses a couple of weeks ago. Um, Altria, again, is now officially lobbying to legalize marijuana in Virginia. They were successful in doing that. They just passed that um, over the weekend. Um, so they were successful in legalizing it. And they're now officially lobbying on legalization at the federal level. So these are the people who are driving the conversation on marijuana legalization, um, not the little people, not small businesses, not hippies and Cheech and Chong and all that stuff, which you're going to learn that's way back in the review mirror now. Um, but these are the folks that are driving this conversation. And there's more big tobacco companies. I think we all know about Juul and how they were hauled in front of Congress for their practices with uh, nicotine vapes. Not many of us know that Juul spun off from Pax, their parent company, and Pax is, is the jewel for marijuana. They do marijuana vaporizers, um, which I'll get into more in a little bit. Um, but we see the people that are driving this are not uh, you know, a good cast of characters. And these companies are getting exemptions from clean indoor air acts across the country. So Colorado, you can literally, in law, legally, um, have a smoker section for uh, marijuana in a hotel, restaurant, and lounge in the state of Colorado, and also in Illinois. But guess what you can't have a smoker section for in those states? Uh, tobacco smoke, you know, cigarettes. So it's a, just a nonsensical place that we're in. And it's because of this very strong tobacco invested industry um, that is pushing and pushing and pushing, just like big tobacco did uh, 100 years ago, and even just as, as early as 50 years ago. Um, we have the guy who wrote the playbook for OxyContin, uh, former CEO of Purdue Pharma, for those of you who know, uh, what a great uh, job Purdue Pharma did in addicting and killing thousands of Americans in this country. That guy uh, is in the marijuana industry. He was a um, pot CEO. Um, we also have big alcohol, major, major alcohol conglomerates investing in marijuana. And we have for the first time ever, marijuana hedge funds. And this is not a stock photo. These guys are actually running the first ever marijuana hedge fund. They're pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into marijuana companies and trying to make money off of people getting addicted to their drugs. And so this is the face of marijuana, not Cheech and Chong, not the Woodstock days, which you know I wasn't around for, but I heard it were pretty crazy. <laughs> but uh, though that is, that is totally yesteryears. Um, this is what marijuana looks like now. Guys in suits with Harvard and Yale MBAs who are trying to make money off of this. Um, and by the way, notice there's not a single person of color in this picture, and there's not very many uh, people of color involved in the picture with marijuana at all, um, which we'll, we'll get into as well. Um, so what is today's marijuana? The industries that have taken it over, you've seen that. Um, what are they doing to this drug? Well, when I say marijuana, you probably think of this uh, when I say this, uh, the word marijuana, but these guys have changed the game. The industry has changed the game. This is what it's about now. Um, you know, the sodas, the gummies, the candies. Um, these are pictures of real products, by the way, sold at dispensaries that are not far from where I live. 
um, here in, in South Denver. And so it's absolutely appealing to kids. My four-year-old daughter, she, as I was making this presentation a, a few months ago, she uh, looked at this picture and she said, you know, the top left got those gummy little leaves. She's like, oh, that looks yummy. That's what she said to me. And so it's like their, their marketing is absolutely working. Um, and we can't fool ourselves into thinking that this is just 21 and up, but this is absolutely legal in states that have written laws that say you can't market to kids. You can't have products that are appealing to kids. Um, but you know, we have to remember they have the best lobbyists and the best lawyers who can dance all kinds of dances around what the regulations are. So it's super potent marijuana. Um, these, you know, this is the kind of concentrates we're seeing of this drug. We've never seen anything like it. It's not natural. It's not grown a plant in a little farm and being sold as a part of an urban rural co-op, you know, these millennial things you hear about. Um, this is being done in labs with chemists um, scientifically breeding and modifying this plant um, to deliver much more potent drugs. Um, and it's coming in the forms of all kinds of crazy delivery mechanisms. You know, relax, it's just a blowtorch, kind of a crazy thought. These gummy bears, which by the way, Washington state attempted to ban these gummy bears because if you're pro or con on legalization, I think we can all agree there shouldn't be marijuana-laced gummy bears. But the industry effectively lobbied to pull that rule out. And so you can still sell and buy these marijuana-laced gummy bears, uh, which is just absolutely crazy from a public health perspective. So that potency is skyrocketing. Um, you can see these concentrates are getting into the average of up to 55% and more. We're actually literally seeing products of over 99% potency now. So 99% potency versus an average of 3% potency just a few decades ago. So this drug is not the same drug you've ever heard of before. It is a totally different new drug and is much more addictive. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, let's compare uh, caffeine to THC, okay? So imagine, you know, about two decades ago, the average caffeine drinker drinking about one 20 ounce cola uh, worth of caffeine, okay? Now, fast forward to today, that same user is actually consuming 33 medium cappuccinos worth of caffeine um, a day. Um, so now just replace caffeine with THC. That is the comparison. Humongous um, increase in the amount of THC and the potency of THC that people are taking. Um, so that is gonna have significant health consequences and we need to get into that. And it's not just a fluke. I'm not just showing you the extreme things here. If you look at the research, these 97% THC levels make up more than 15% of the marijuana market. And the 10 to 15% THC levels are less than 2% of the market. So what does that tell you? I mean, for me, I've started two companies. I sold one. So I look at market dynamics and, and I can kind of understand where it's going. The potency is where the money's being made. They're going to continue to drive up potency because they know they can make more money off of it and get more folks addicted, um, as we're going to see. So again, this is not natural. It's not just a plant. This isn't being grown organically. This is a chemical process that's being done in labs, um, being pushed now by tobacco companies. And it's more addictive. One in three past marijuana users. So if you used marijuana in the past year, one in three of those folks are, um, the research is telling us, are developing an addiction. And that's not just youth, that is adults. This is across all users. So youth and adults, you're gonna get addicted to this. It is much more addictive now, uh, one in three, uh, than it ever was before. So a lot of times we hear about the opioid crisis. And I mentioned, you know, the Purdue Pharma guy who's pushing marijuana as a solution to the opioid crisis, which I would take his advice with a grain of salt, given that he helped create the opioid crisis. But nonetheless, let's do a deep dive on the facts about marijuana's impact with opioids. Um, first off, hot off the presses, this just came out a couple weeks ago, University of Queensland uh, in Australia did a massive 20-year study following 1,500 people over 20 years of their life. 
from 15 to 35. Okay, so it's a pretty good study, um, pretty rock solid study. And what did they find? I mean, look at these findings. 30, this is all users, adults, okay, not youth. I'm not here to just say, oh, kids don't use marijuana. This is about everybody using marijuana. Um, if you are an adult who starts using marijuana regularly, you are 37 times more likely to start using illicit drugs, okay? So not to say that this is a gateway drug where you're going to smoke a joint and you're going to grab a syringe and start injecting heroin, okay? Very few people do that. Um, but what this tells us is that, again, what we already know from the literature, which is that people don't just use one drug. And, um, you know, you talk to about 95 to 97% of heroin users and cocaine users, they'll tell you they started with marijuana. So it's a part of that journey to other drugs. Um, so we can't deny that length. Does it mean it's an automatic gateway? No, uh, but it is certainly a pathway to using other drugs as the research is now very explicitly telling us. Um, we also know from other research that backs this up. If you're a regular user of marijuana, this study was done in, I think, 2017, um, published in JAMA. Um, and again, everything I'm gonna talk to you about today is peer reviewed, it's cited, you can look it up and check out these studies yourself, which I encourage you to do. Um, but we focus on, you know, 100% legitimate data um, that, we, that we present. So be, definitely be sure to check out the slides afterward and, and look it up. Um, but you are 2.7 times more likely to go on and, and abuse uh, opioids if you are a regular marijuana user. So this was a 2017 study uh, that found a similar finding. And yet we have the marijuana industry putting these billboards out saying states that legalize marijuana have fewer opioid related deaths. Um, and they cite a study that's very, you know, convincing from JAMA uh, 2014. And so you look at something like this and you say, well, wow, maybe this is a solution for the opioid crisis. Um, you know, but this is just unfortunately a very classic uh, manipulation of data and, and information by an industry that's learning from big tobacco. And remember, big tobacco paid doctors to say that cigarettes were good for asthma which we know right now is absolute insanity, uh, but that's what they were paid to do. So we see billboards like this, but then we look at the study and we say, okay, well, JAMA updated that study. That was a 2014 study. JAMA updated that study in 2019, doing the exact same research process, the exact same, everything was identical. And they found that actually when you added the, ne the next five years of data, it was an increase of 23% in opioid deaths in states that legalized. Now, this is an important moment to point out that we should not cherry pick studies, okay? Because look, study came out in 2014, said it went down. Sounds great. Then you go to 2019, you got five more years of data and you learn, oh my goodness, it went up. So we cannot make policy decisions based on five years of data um, and just say, oh, well, we have the final answer. Um, we didn't know what we had with big tobacco for about 75 years. And unfortunately we were you know, in the kettle, the frog was in the pot, it was being boiled and the, it got boiled to death. And now we've got millions of types of cancers that we've you know, never had before big tobacco. Millions of people have died um, over the decades and continue to die from big tobacco. Um, so we learned the hard way with tobacco, but we don't have to learn the hard way with marijuana. We should wait, wait for more studies like this to come out before we have the final answer. And I'll tell you, we don't have the final answer on this. I'm not going to tell you this study is the end all be all. And you know, we know for a fact that legalizing marijuana makes opioid crisis worse. Um, but I, what I will tell you is we know for a fact right now, based on the information that we have right now, that it does not improve the opioid crisis. And we should be very clear about that. Another study from JAMA 2018 found that you know, it's, being, it's worsening where marijuana has been legalized. So some studies showing uh, you know, some, some symptoms there. And then you look at just, you know, just kind of the, the final parting thought on this. Colorado's opioid overdose deaths by year uh, since legalization. It's gone up every single year. 
So this certainly was not the easy button for the opioid crisis in any of the states that have legalized. Um, so what are the impacts on public health? Um, I've talked about how the potency is skyrocketing. Wh where is this going? What are we seeing in states that have legalized? Well, you know, to, to begin with, we need to understand that marijuana impacts your brain in many different ways. Um, your brain has endocannabinoid receptors all throughout uh, the brain that receive the THC, that active ingredient that gets you high. Um, and these receptors are responsible for a number of very important functions, immune system, you know, reproduction, et cetera. So very serious, um, the use, we should take it very, very seriously. Well, first off, we're pretty much at a point now where there's a causal link. And I say that word with a great degree of respect because in research, you don't wanna say something, you know, they, they really try to stay away from causal, you know, causation. And they really wanna say, well, there's a correlation, there's a association, but they rarely wanna to go to the extent of causation. Uh, but with so much research now out showing the link between marijuana use and issues of mental health, we're getting to the point where they're now saying it causes these mental health conditions that we're seeing. So first up is schizophrenia. Um, regular use of marijuana at any age, uh, but certainly starting in youth, dramatically increases your uh, chances of developing schizophrenia or other forms of, of mental illness. You see by age of 15, um, if you're using marijuana, um, you're 4.5 times more likely to develop schizophrenia. Uh, which is very concerning. Um, hang on to that 15 number because I have another slide I'm going to get to um, that's going to um, bring some greater context to that number, but um, very concerning what we're seeing in the research. This is probably the biggest study, maybe one of the biggest studies we've seen on marijuana ever. Um, this is the first population level study that they did where they looked at thousands of people across multiple major metropolitan areas like London and New York, and what they did was they, they looked at regular users of today's high potency marijuana. So not the old school 2% THC joint stuff, um, the high potency concentrates and other things. And what they found was regular users, and again, this is adults and youth, regular users of today's high potency marijuana, five times more likely to develop psychosis or schizophrenia. Okay, so we're seeing an alarming connection between the use of this drug um, and, and serious mental conditions. And a lot of times I hear from people, they say, well, you know, it's safer than alcohol or it's no more dangerous than alcohol is. So why don't we just regulate it like we regulate alcohol? Well, it's interesting, you know, first of all, I'll say those two drugs are completely different. It's like apples and oranges and every drug has different impacts on people. Um, and certainly alcohol and marijuana are very different from each other. <clears throat> However, some major studies, and this is a very, very big study, you, you know, compared users of marijuana and users of alcohol. And it's interesting that what they found, you know, the, the addiction rates, you know, tried to limit use but failed, um, caused serious problems at home, work, or school, higher for marijuana users than alcohol. So just some interesting points of comparison there um, to consider. And, you know, we've seen decreases in youth use of marijuana over the past, you know, uh, several decades, but that's been pretty much all but erased since states started legalizing marijuana, um, which is a big concern. Um, look just in California, Nevada, and Oregon, all states that legalized recreational marijuana. Um, this is data we just got a couple um, about a month ago. Um, we're seeing that their youth use rates have really just skyrocketed um, over the last two years. Um, and it, obviously, it's no question that legalization has had a part to play in this. California, particularly, I think, saw about a 40% increase in their youth use of marijuana, um, which is deeply concerning as a parent. Um, you look at these other drugs, all the other drugs are going down for the most part. Um, you know, you got you know, alcohol, tobacco, um, going down for the most part, very low, um, unprecedentedly low uh, levels. But what's the one thing we see going up? Marijuana, 
right? Um, and so that is a big concern that we're seeing. And this is another major uh, marijuana study found that there was an increase of 25% in cannabis use disorder. That is the clinical term for marijuana addiction. So let's just be very honest and upfront. Marijuana addiction is real. People get addicted to marijuana and doctors are diagnosing people with marijuana addiction every day in hospitals and clinics across this country and across the world. And it's called cannabis use disorder and it's a diagnosis code. So 25% increase in that uh, in addictions in 12 to 17 year olds across legal states. So um, no question it's impacting our youth. And we see that when you compare legal states to non-legal states, um, it's higher in legal states. Average monthly use, average uh, yearly use of marijuana. No matter which way you cut the data and look at it, it's higher for youth in legal states. So this is a message that's being communicated to our youth that it's no big deal. And look at these 8th, 10th, and 12th graders who are vaping marijuana at uh, alarming rates. And we know with the vaping crisis, what a huge problem that's been in Wisconsin and, and elsewhere. Seen hospitalizations increase significantly since legalization um, in places like my state, Colorado, Alaska, other states. Um, and we've seen, you know, another interesting thing is on the uh, uh, marijuana and veterans. So a lot of times marijuana is pitched as this cure for PTSD. It's a way to help our veterans get off of these opiates that they've been given. Um, and, you know, we are very concerned about our, our veterans as they come back from, from conflict. Uh, but what we're seeing from the literature right now, from the research, is that it is absolutely not a help to our veterans. In fact, it may be exacerbating their symptoms and actually making uh, worse mental health outcomes. Um, so we really need to be careful about these claims that have been made saying marijuana is going to help veterans. Um, very, very careful about what's, what's being said there. Um, we're also seeing that, you know, along with schizophrenia and mental illness, we're also seeing suicide. Uh, becoming a major link that we're seeing with marijuana use as well. So you should look at Colorado's numbers. I mean, our, our suicides have gone up amongst our youth and the toxicology results more and more now are showing marijuana. That's the number one drug found in those toxicology results for these suicides is uh, marijuana. So very, very concerning uh, outcome. Now we're talked about, you know, we mentioned the, the vaping crisis and I know it impacted Wisconsin. I don't know how many of you knew that more than 80% of the lung illnesses, Evoli, uh, that people were getting were uh, linked to marijuana vapes. So this was really actually a marijuana vaping crisis, um, which is exactly what we called it. Um, and so the majority of these cases were marijuana. One in six of the illnesses came from the legal marijuana market. This is all according to the CDC. One in six. So we're told you're gonna legalize this drug, it's gonna be safe and regulated, and at least you won't have you know, fentanyl spliced with your marijuana and all that stuff. And yet here we are, we have a massive national public health crisis deriving from the very drug that we're supposed to be, be regulating in these different states. It's, it's very sad. And we had two deaths in Oregon that were confirmed to be from uh, legal marijuana dispensaries, um, which is another real just, just awful situation. And I just wanted to point out this quote because I thought it was really, you know, poignant. Um, this guy's from Ohio. He traveled to Colorado to get regulated marijuana that in his quote, he thought it was safer, uh, especially because he never bought it off the street. So he didn't get it from the black market. He got it from these legal dispensaries. Um, and yet look at him. He's ended up in the hospital with uh, the, this debilitating lung illness. So um, we have to really understand that this, this misnomer about regulation, you can't regulate this industry. I mean, the industry will really stop at nothing. I mean, look at Oregon and California. They're kind of, you know, they got a technicality with the rules. Technically, pre-K and kindergartens are not considered schools in these states. So you can have a dispensary literally right next to uh, these kindergartens, um, which is just 
why is the industry doing that? Why would they, if they're supposedly wanting to be regulated and they don't want to target kids, why are they putting shops right nearby to our kindergartens? It, it just, it defies comprehension. Um, this was a picture taken by a friend of mine um, in Colorado Springs here in Colorado. Um, very disheartening if you're a parent has kids to see something like this. They're lined up outside of a pot shop um, with a toddler and a baby and a stroller. Um, we think that this won't send a message to our kids that it's okay. Um, so it's really all about the industry here. They're you know, kid-friendly products, potencies through the roof, aggressive marketing. Um, we see you know, ads everywhere, billboards, contaminants, you know, the, the vaping crisis, but that's just one issue we were having. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of products have been recalled um, across legal states because of the issues with these products, pesticides, poisons, rat poison, et cetera. Um, and this industry is effectively, I should say, very effectively fighting regulation, um, pushing off regulations as, as, as hard as they can. And it's no surprise because that's what Big Tobacco did. And that's what um, Big Tobacco is teaching them to do. Um, and it's really interesting because I mentioned that they invested in marijuana, um, Altria did. They also invested in Juul. And they did the Juul investment a week after they invested in marijuana. And six months after that was when we had the vaping crisis, which I just think is very ironic. Um, but Altria has connected the dots. They're connecting these vaping giants with marijuana. And so the future is vaping and addiction to marijuana. Um, that is really the future and Altria is kind of paving the way for that. And you look at the history I mentioned, um, I won't get into this, but you know, Juul was literally started, started out as a marijuana vaping company. So if you've got a problem with Juul and you think it's great that Congress hauled them before you know, in these hearings and went after them with their practices, you've got a problem with marijuana because that's where they learned it from. Um, and you look at these THC vaporizers, very visually appealing. Um, and if you think that they look a little bit like iPhones or maybe your iMac or your MacBook Pro, you're not far off because the same design guys from Stanford School of Design designed these products. The same guys who designed Apple's products designed these products. Um, and, and the way they design these products is to make them so aesthetically pleasing, so beautiful to the eye that uh, people want to use them again and again and again. And it's not a bad, I, you know, not a bad deal if you've got a computer or a cell phone, uh, but it's a really bad idea if it's uh, drugs, an addictive drug, which is really um, very concerning. And here we see some of these ads that many of us have seen. Um, but why does this matter to us, th this addiction? Well, let's compare industries for a second. The alcohol industry makes 75, follow me on this. The alcohol industry makes 75% of its profits off of 10% of its users. So 10% of the users of alcohol make up more than 75% of the money that the alcohol industry makes. The average user in that cohort drinks 10 drinks of alcohol a day. Okay. And we see ads from the alcohol industry that say, please drink responsibly. Um, yet they know full well that they're making their money off of the alcoholics. Um, a very, very appalling setup here. But that's how business works. I started business, I can tell you, it's not nonprofit, okay? It's all about making money and getting people to use these products as much as you can. Again, not a bad deal if it's a cell phone or if it's a laptop. Really, really big and bad deal if it's a drug because then the industry literally has a profit incentive to have you be addicted and use their drug as much as possible. So let's compare this, what I would call addiction for profit model to what the marijuana industry is doing. 70, just about 70% of the, you know, marijuana consumed is being done by 20, about 20% of the marijuana users in the state of Colorado. And if you actually add those black bars there, you got 87% of the consumption is being made up by 30% of the population of the users. So 
huge addiction model going on with marijuana as well. And this is just going to continue to kind of look lopsided because um, they're going to groove in those heavy users and they're going to just monetize them and monetize them and monetize them. It's a real problem. We cannot expect an industry that is for profit that by definition, these companies have to drive profits for their investors. Okay, They, they have to bring money back to their investors. So if I, as, as an investor, put $1 million investment into a pot company, I'm hoping to get a $10 million return, right? Do people want to make 10x is what we say, 10 times their investment. So how can that company deliver $10 million back on a $1 million investment? The only way they can do it is if they sell a ton of marijuana. And it is so much easier to go back to your addicts and get them uh, all the, the the drugs that they you just keep feeding drugs to them and keep them addicted. So you have to understand the profit alignment is the problem and you can't fix it. There's no way you can write a rule around it. Um, so I want to make sure we understand that this is addiction for profit. So how is it going in Colorado? What's the experience like? I'm living it every day. Well, this is a picture I took um, about a year ago, a little, a little bit before the uh, pandemic um, at a backpack store that I went in with my wife. And at the time, my one daughter, who was three at the time, um, we went into a backpack store in downtown Denver, and this little tray of samples was available at the entrance to the store. No signage, nobody standing by it. I love chocolate. My daughter loves chocolate. She ran up and grabbed one of these cups, and I was going to help her get it, and I was going to get some for myself. So I thought, well, you know, there's kind of something weird looking about the packaging. And I realized that each one of the squares of these chocolate bar has 10 milligrams of THC in it. So that is an extreme amount of marijuana that'll get you very high. Just one of these squares will get you very, very high. And this was just out on display. And my daughter almost consumed that. Thank God I noticed that and I pulled that away. But I think most of us don't even know what THC means. I didn't know what THC meant until I started working at Sam. Um, just thought about marijuana. So this is what legalization looks like. It's on a daily basis. You know, this is what you don't see in the news, what you don't hear about from your governor who's proposing this kind of quick, easy budget fix um, with marijuana legalization. These are the impacts, the unintended consequences that we have to think about when we consider policies like this. And here's another under, unintended consequence. Um, you know, more than a thousand pot shops we have across our state, and they all look like this. Um, that one on the top left is uh, right nearby my wife's uh, high school that she graduated from, East High School. Um, and you'll see kids hanging out on their bikes in front of that pot shop all the time from the high school. Is that what we wanna have in our state? Is that the kind of society we want? And, and what are these pot shops doing? Well, Denver Health did a study, landmark study a couple of years ago, found that 70% of these pot shops are pushing pot on pregnant mothers. They're recommending it to pregnant mothers, which we know is an absolute disaster for the children. It's literally led to death for children in the womb before. Um, and at the very minimum, it leads to low birth weights and a whole bunch of other issues. So the American Academy of Pediatrics issued an advisory saying, don't use marijuana if you're a pregnant mother. Journal Pediatrics um, has guidance that says that THC remains in your breast milk for up to six days after using marijuana. So huge, huge issue there. So we did a little uh, awareness campaign. Unfortunately, the industry got off with a slap on the wrist, nothing happened. Nobody um, really received any kind of penalty, um, but we did put bibs all over the pot shops in Denver saying, don't hurt our future Colorado kids. And we're gonna continue to send that message loud and clear. Um, in 2019, which um, our Colorado Department of Public Health, they release a regular report every few years. Um, so this is one of the latest ones. Um, we saw a 400% increase in poisonings of children zero to nine. So that literally means like a baby grabbing a marijuana edible and eating it. Um, and having to go to the hospital. A huge increase in that happening. Thousands, tens of thousands of homes where they're not storing these products safely. What does that mean? And, and obviously these numbers are scary, but 
to put it into perspective for you as a parent, not storing marijuana products safely. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine who's got kids are a little bit older than mine. They go and play at their friend's house. And he was telling me that now since legalization, he has to call his kids' friends' parents before they go and hang out at their friend's house. And he says, are you, you know, do you use marijuana? Do you have marijuana edibles in your home? Are you storing those edi you know, edibles out of reach of kids? Are they secure? These are questions parents never had to ask before we legalized, but now we do. Um, and that just puts it into perspective for you. And the secondhand smoke uh, data is really concerning as well because the American Lung Association tells us that secondhand marijuana smoke is exactly the same in terms of carcinogens and other harms as secondhand tobacco smoke. So think of those two things as exactly the same thing. Um, we're seeing our hospitalization rates continue to increase in Colorado, poison control center calls doubling since legalization. Um, and I mentioned that we had over a thousand pot shops. Well, we have literally twice the number of McDonald's and Starbucks combined. Uh, that's the number of pot shops we have. So imagine all the McDonald's and the Starbucks that you see uh, where you live in Wisconsin. And uh, there's a whole bunch of pot shops. Just imagine that number um, just everywhere, pushing these, uh, you know, these products and advertising. So it's a huge issue. Colorado, we've seen obviously impact on our youth, commercialization. Our, by the way, our black market has not gone away and I'll get into that in a second. Um, we've tried to cap potency. We're seeing a huge push to cap the potency of marijuana now in, uh, this year in our states. We'll see if that succeeds, but the industry pushes against that at every turn. Um, we try to limit the locations of stores. In fact, that's going the opposite direction. They reduced the setbacks now for pot shops, it used to be a thousand feet from you know places like parks and um, you know treatment centers. Now it's 500 feet, so they're trying to you know move those goalposts closer, um, which is really unfortunate. Uh, and we're seeing that the money's not going where they said it would go either. So very concerning results in Colorado. Um, we know that legalization sends a message not only for the previous reasons I've mentioned, but because the one of the foremost surveys on drug use and attitudes, uh, the Monitoring the Future survey found that one in four 12th graders would try marijuana for the first time or increase their use of it um, if marijuana were legalized federally. So we have to acknowledge that when we legalize, it sends a message to our kids, whether we wanna believe that or not. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, again, I mentioned the poisonings. This is at the national level, um, five and younger, 150% increase in the marijuana um, exposures for these kids. Um, Colorado, Massachusetts, Washington, seeing huge increases in poison control center calls. So what about driving? Driving is a huge issue. Um, I can tell you that uh, there's a lot of studies that have actually come out recently on driving and the, the impact of marijuana. First of all, marijuana absolutely impairs your driving ability. In Colorado, we saw a literally triple digit increase in people dying on the roads from marijuana impaired drivers since legalization. Washington state, this number doubled. Oregon, more than half of all of their drivers that they tested for marijuana last year tested positive for marijuana. Um, so that is a huge increase in impairment on the roads. Um, there was a major study done at the national level um, by uh, that was published in JAMA by uh, Dr. Uh, Russ Kamer, who's a friend of Sam's. Um, this was published, it estimates about 6,800, about 7,000 more people dying on the roads from marijuana impaired drivers per year if we were to legalize at the federal level. Okay, so that will have an impact. And to give you a little bit of context on that, we lose about 10,000 people a year from drunk driving. Uh, so this would basically be like doubling that problem, um, which you know obviously we don't want to do. Washington staff traffic study found some interesting information. I'll, you, you'll get these slides afterwards and you can check that out. Uh, but I want to get to the workplace because the workplace is a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, this is the latest data from Quest Diagnostics. They do this, um, you know, the, the drug tests for everybody basically in the country. They're the big one. So they re release this data and it's always very important to look at it. 
triple digit or double digit increases in every single state that legalized marijuana for workplace positivity, meaning people are testing positive for marijuana while working in the workplace. Um, very, very concerning development for anyone who's an employer, um, particularly in trucking and transportation and you know anything, you know, schools, et cetera. Um, very, very concerning trends. And we're seeing the safety sensitive workforce workforce has doubled the average increase across the country. So what does that mean? What does safety sensitive workforce mean? Well, I looked into their um, press release for Quest and they define safety sensitive workforce as pilots, rail, bus, and truck drivers, workers and nuclear power plants. None of these people are people you want to be testing positive for marijuana. And yet they are increasing at an alarming level. So that is another outcome we don't think of. And you know, it's very interesting. The industry is pushing to make marijuana users a protected class. So how are they gonna do that? Well, Nevada just became the first state in the country to ban employers from rejecting job applicants over their marijuana use. So there's no exceptions for that. If you are in the trucking industry, you've gotta hire that guy who's testing positive for marijuana at his interview. Um, if you've uh, got a pilot, United, uh, you know, uh, whatever airline you fly, they've got to hire that person regardless of whether or not they're testing positive. That is a huge problem. We're going to continue to see this push across the board. Um, and if you're an employer and you're concerned about productivity, um, you know, absenteeism, these things have hard costs to employers. Um, the studies show us that these increase, all of them increase when you've got uh, marijuana users in your workforce. Um, our largest construction employer in the state, GE Johnson, their CEO said they can't find, you know, find anybody to pass a drug test in the state of Colorado. So they're hiring people from Wyoming and they're hiring people from, people from Kansas and um, states around, which is obviously not what you want to see happen. You want to keep those jobs inside your state. Uh, but this is unfortunately the result of, of a very bad policy decision. Now I'm going to take a quick drink of water here. I want to talk about the black market because that probably is the number one thing we hear. And you may even be hearing it from your governor who's saying, well, let's legalize marijuana and we will prevent uh, the dealers from getting to your kids. We'll get rid of the black market. The cartels are going to go away. We hear all these same old promises and let's see how that's playing out. Well, the New York Times reported they did an interview with a uh, uh, current Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom from California, um, and he said that the black market is getting worse, not better, since they legalized marijuana in California. Um, in fact, he called in the National Guard to help him fight, literally fight, the massive cartels that are running huge illegal marijuana grows in the state of California. So it's basically like all out warfare over there right now. So legalizing marijuana did nothing to take that problem away. Um, I don't know why we thought that the cartel people would just kind of, oh, well, I guess we'll just stop being cartel members and like, I don't know, go to college and become a dentist. <laughs> I, I don't know what we thought was gonna happen with legalization, but certainly that promise of getting rid of the black market did not materialize. Um, these illicit seizures seized off of public lands, so places where people hike and have recreation, have just skyrocketed over the over the years. Um, Colorado's distributing black market weed to 36 now different states in the country. Um, these are all states. Look, your state's one of them. States that did not vote to legalize marijuana are having to deal with the consequences of states that did vote to legalize marijuana. And so that's why this needs to be a federal policy. That's why we can't have states going rogue on drug laws because what happens is, you know, they like to tell you they're gonna keep it in their borders, but it does not stay in their borders. And this industry has no uh, reason nor desire to stay inside the borders of the states where it's legalized because they can make more money if more states legalize it. So they're gonna, of course, they're gonna push their products to other states. So we have to kind of be realistic about how this works. 
Um, and these foreign cartels, like I said, have embraced this. In fact, they're setting up shop in suburban neighborhoods here in Colorado. They're buying houses, gutting them, and then filling them with uh, 100 or 200 uh, marijuana plants and turning them into grow houses for black market wheat that they then sell on the black market. Um, so literally people are living in neighborhoods where there are cartels setting up shop in their neighborhoods, um, growing this black market marijuana. It, it's a real problem. Um, you know, and if you think that these states have the resources or the time or the ability to regulate this market, uh, market effectively, which I guarantee you is what your governor is telling you is that, you know, we're, we're going to regulate this drug. It's going to be highly regulated and safe. Um, just look at what's happening in Oregon. This is from the Oregon State Police Report. So this is from their government. Um, just 18 to 30% of Oregon's market is sold legally. Okay, so let's reverse that. 70% or more of the entire Oregon marijuana market is 100% black market. Like 70% of it is black market, um, which is just, I mean, it's unthinkable um, that that's what's happening and they've legalized it and they're supposed to be regulating it. But this is from their official reports on, on how it's going. So the black market's out of control in Oregon, California, Colorado, elsewhere. Um, and their Secretary of State issued a very transparent audit. I wish we'd get this kind of transparency from everybody in government, uh, but saying that uh, you know, marijuana, uh, only 3% of the marijuana shops, the pot shops, have been inspected. So what that means is nobody's been going out to these pot shops. So only God knows what they're selling in these shops. Only God knows what products, what they're putting inside their products. Um, and this was a very poignant quote. They said, Oregon's marijuana testing program cannot ensure that test results are reliable and products are safe. Now that quote sounds dangerous, but if, for those of you who remember my earlier slide, where did I say two people died from marijuana dispensaries sold marijuana vapes? Oregon. Oregon's where two people died from purchasing marijuana vapes uh, from legal, regulated, quote unquote, marijuana shops. It was in Oregon. So this report came out before the vaping crisis. Unfortunately, it was not heeded by the governor, um, not heeded by anybody in the administration, and people lost their lives. Um, very, very disconcerting to say the least. Only one compliance official in Oregon for every 83 pot shops. So that's why we have only 3% getting inspected. And this issue, by the way, persists in Colorado and other states. We just haven't seen kind of transparent accounting of that. Um, and we see lots and lots of seizures and arrests. And the DEA reported this federally just last year. So, you know, lots and lots of issues that we're seeing on the black market side. Um, I want to talk about social justice because that is the number one thing we hear, I think, on this is that legalizing marijuana is going to make, you know, uh, it's going to, um, you know, help absolve the, the disproportionate impact of the war on drugs. Um, it's going to help uh, minority communities, particularly African-American communities, um, to have something to uh, make money off of, to bring wealth and resources into their communities. These are all promises that we're hearing being made about marijuana legalization um, all the time. Is that panning out? <clears throat> well, in Colorado, you're more than two times more likely to be arrested for a marijuana offense after legalization, if you're black, uh, than uh, before. So literally, we've seen the uh, disparity in arrest rates continue for African-Americans since legalization in the state of Colorado. So this has not been an easy button solution, unfortunately. Um, we see on-site arrests for African-Americans continue to persist in a very, very painful way in the state of Colorado since legalization. Um, less than 4% of the entire marijuana industry, okay, all of the marijuana industry, less than 4% of it has any form of black ownership. Okay, so this is not a boon for uh, African-Americans. It's not a boon for people in any minority community. 
Um, this is a boon and a win for uh, overwhelmingly rich white investors. Big Tobacco, you can take a look at their boards, um, but those are the guys who are winning. Um, and in fact, I would say this is social injustice, not social justice. Um, let's look at this map of Denver. Bottom right hand uh, part of your screen, the color coded map, um, everything green is where white or you know, Caucasian communities live. All the other colors, the yellow, the purple, the orange, those are minority communities, okay? Now look at the top left uh, map. All those dots are pot shops. Okay, so I think we can all see the uh, pattern here. It's like a heat map. This industry is targeting minority communities, but we just saw that less than 4% of those communities have any ownership in this industry. So white people who are already rich are the ones making a ton of money off of putting their pot shops in these communities. And it's not going to the minority communities at all. It's not being reinvested at all. In fact, this model is very familiar. We know it, we've seen it before. We all know where the payday loan stores go. We all know where the tobacco stores go. We all know where the liquor stores are. They're not in the nice, you know, uh, super wealthy communities that are predominantly white. They're in the communities where the most vulnerable people live. Um, and that's just a fact of the matter. This is about predatory industries and the marijuana industry is no different. We have to go in with our eyes wide open at the very least and say, we know what this industry is about. And it hasn't reduced our prison populations. We've seen the prison population continue to increase since these states legalized marijuana, Colorado, DC. Um, and we're told this is gonna make money for us. This is gonna bring revenue to schools. And yet the marijuana tax revenue makes up less than a percent of any state's budget. So it is pennies on the dollar. In fact, if you don't even believe me and you don't believe this slide, which by the way, comes from these, these state budget sites. Uh, but if you don't believe me, just listen to former uh, uh, Democratic governor uh, for Colorado, uh, John Hickenlooper, who's now our US Senator. Um, he'll tell you himself, he says it, he said it on the record multiple times. He says the marijuana taxes, uh, tax revenue is a drop in the budget. Do not legalize marijuana for the revenue. That's what he says, it's a direct quote from him. You can ask any other members of, of his team who oversaw the implementation of legalization. They'll tell you the money is nothing. So don't hope that legalization is gonna bring some huge windfall of revenue for the state. It's not gonna do it. Denver Post will tell you that. Um, we didn't, you know, a, a calculation of the costs. You know, my business background, I can tell you, if I went into my boardroom and said, hey guys, we made $10 million, uh, they would laugh me out of the room. Because they'd say, well, what was your cost? What was the cost of doing business? Because if it costs you $20 million to make $10 million, you're running a lousy company and you're losing $10 million a year. So we need to um, provide that same level of uh, just kind of, uh, you know, taking a hard look at the costs when it comes to marijuana policy decisions as well. So I will tell you the jury is definitely still out in this discussion. A lot of us think, oh, you know, marijuana legalization is inevitable. Everybody supposedly wants it. Uh, but really, you know, you look at these studies, you know, these polls that are done, people say, you know, 60% of people want legalization, et cetera. But it's actually all about how you ask the question. Most of these questions are binary. It's like yes or no, which by the way, you remember I said, it's the false dichotomy. Do you want to legalize it or not? Do you want to go Colorado style or do you want to throw everybody in prison? But when you give people options, something really interesting comes out of those poll results. So I'm gonna give you a case study. In New York, they did a poll, yes or no, 60% said yes. We went to that pollster, it was Emerson College, and we said, will you ask the same question to the same people, but instead of saying yes or no, give them the four policy options, decriminalization, medical, recreational, or full uh, you know, prohibition. And when we gave them those options, support fell 20%. 
so that the majority of New Yorkers wanted other options, not full legalization of marijuana. Very, very important how we, how we ask the question. And the polls are consistently oversimplifying this issue. It's very complex. And we know that because we've seen in states that voted to legalize marijuana, you know, you might say, well, Colorado, Michigan, the, the voters voted for this. Well, did they really vote for commercialization of marijuana or were they voting to decriminalize it? Were they voting to say, well, I just don't want people to go to jail. Well, you look at the levels of opt-outs, the vast majority of cities and towns and states that legalize marijuana opted out of marijuana sales. Colorado, 64%, California and Michigan. Can you believe it? 80% of California's cities and towns have opted out, banned pot shops. They didn't want commercialized marijuana. They wanted to decriminalize it. Maybe they wanted it for medical use but they did not want to commercialize marijuana. And it's very clear from what's happening in, in, in these outcomes. We did this at the federal level. We did a poll, 68% of Americans wanted other options other than legalization. So jury is very much out. We're totally missing the boat on public opinion on this. Um, and we need to look at solutions. So our organization pushes for a lot of solutions um, in both states that have legalized and states that have not legalized like Wisconsin. Um, you know, in places that have, we're pushing for a number of very smart regulations. And states like yours that have not, we're pushing for decriminalization of low-level offenses. You know, let's reduce criminal penalties, especially for youth, but for people who are have an addiction problem with marijuana, they need to get help. Um, we should be discouraging marijuana use, a science-based marijuana awareness campaign about the harms. I mean, we need to get the science out there. We're not seeing billboards and advertising campaigns for, you know, science-based messages on marijuana um, and, and how it hurts your driving. We're seeing you know, ads that are terribly irresponsible from this industry that's saying, oh, it, you know, cures cancer. It's great for your, you know, uh, PTSD. Totally false. Uh, but we're seeing those kinds of slogans and we need to see the opposite. And that's where policymakers can step in. And, and that's what we're pushing them to do. Um, you can get everything I talked about today and a whole lot more from our comprehensive yearly lessons learned from marijuana legalization report. Um, that's free to you. Um, you can check that out on our website, which is learnaboutsam.org. And I finally wanted to conclude with my reason for being here. Okay, so the reason why I'm passionate about this, why I've been doing this for over three years now, um, the reason for that is because having lived in Colorado for basically my whole life, I was um, actually born and raised in uh, Chicago, Illinois, so not far from Wisconsin at all. I'm a, I'm a Midwesterner at heart, and that has stuck with me. My family still lives in Chicago, and um, spent a lot of time in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and some other parts of Wisconsin as well, um, where I have a lot of friends. Uh, but, you know, from the age of about eight or nine, I lived in Colorado. I watched my state change uh, from before legalization to after legalization. Um, I became a parent. I have a wonderful wife. I've got two kids now. Um, at the time I had one kid uh, you know, before I started, about three months before I started at SAM, I had one kid, I had my, my first daughter. And we we're taking her on a walk down our sidewalk um, in our lovely little neighborhood at the time of Northeast Denver called Stapleton. And we're walking down in this community with a lot of young families like us um, and you know, lots of young kids. We're walking down the sidewalk and as we're walking, my daughter's sleeping in her stroller and my uh, uh, somebody, and so she would have been about one at the time or a little less than one, um, somebody smokes, you know, lights up a joint, starts smoking weed. Huge cloud of marijuana smoke, smoke just covers her stroller. And as we're walking, just the two of us, uh, acknowledging kind of quietly to ourselves that this smoke is getting into her lungs. There's nothing we can do about that. She's sleeping and inhaling this. My wife turns to me and she goes, you know, this isn't normal. And this happens about every single time we take her for a walk. And I turned to her and I said, you know, you're absolutely right. And we need to do something about 
this. This isn't the future that I want for our country. This isn't the future that I want for families in our state and other states. Um, and so that ignited something in us as a family and made it a passion for us. That's why we moved out to DC, um, why we joined up at SAM to do this work, because that part of the story is not being told. We're hearing from very well-moneyed interests that are now backed by big tobacco to the fullest extent. Um, They're putting out you know, lies and irresponsible messaging. We're not hearing from the families and the people that are impacted by this. And we need to start doing that before we make a horrible decision um, that will impact generations to come. So that's why I'm passionate about this. A lot of other stories I could tell you. Um, I did want to point out that um, there's a brand new book my boss is putting out called Smokescreen. Strongly encourage you to get this book. Um, Ashley actually has an announcement she's going to make about this here in a second. Uh, but this book, you will not want to miss it. Um, let me tell you, it's got stories and insider accounts from people inside the marijuana industry, people who have been impacted by the marijuana industry. Uh, my boss worked for the most recent President uh, Obama before uh, Trump. And uh, uh, has an insider account of how that went down in the Obama administration with uh, states legalizing marijuana. Um, you do not want to miss this book. It is a fantastic book. It'll be released on 420, which is the marijuana holiday. Um, and so it's a very appropriate time for this to be released. It's going to tell you a whole lot of things you never knew and a whole lot more. I strongly encourage you uh, to check that out. And finally, um, we've got our website, learnaboutsam.org, where you can find that report I talked about whole lot of other resources and information, as well as my email here. I'm always happy to get emails from folks, answer any questions that um, y'all may have. So uh, that concludes my presentation. I want to thank Ashley and Sandy and Katie for um, having me. Um, such a pleasure and an honor. And I want to thank all of you for taking an hour or so out of your day uh, to hear me out and get this message. So I uh, very much appreciate it. I'm looking forward to getting some Q&A as well, if anybody has any questions. Hi, Lou. I'm back. Um, Thank you so much um, for your excellent presentation. I mean, we'd love to see you in person, but it comes across so great on the webinar as well. Um, just to wrap up quickly before we take um, questions, for those of you who need CEUs, please make sure you fill out that survey at the end when you leave the meeting. If you don't need CEUs, we still love your feedback and we are giving away a $50 Amazon gift card. So we're gonna take all the survey um, and then draw for that tomorrow. We're gonna do a Facebook Live event. So that would be awesome. Uh, Luke mentioned the book. So after the webinar, I will be sending out a thank you letter to everybody who attended. And if you would like to receive a complimentary book, uh, there's a link you can enter in your address and we promise we're not gonna share any of your information. Um, it's strictly just to receive a copy of the book uh, and that will be available until March 14th. So make sure you sign up for that. Yeah, and I got to tell you that that opportunity is like so ridiculous. Um, I even told my boss, Kevin, it's ridiculous to give out this book free, but we're doing it. We're giving it out to you all because um, we want that information to get out there. I strongly encourage you to take advantage of that complimentary uh, copy of it because this book is, um, I don't know how many of you know the book, The Jungle uh, by Upton Sinclair that basically revealed what the food industry was doing and brought to life the FDA, brought to life the regulations we have around food. I think this book is basically gonna be the jungle for the marijuana industry. The stuff it reveals about what the industry is doing I'm not kidding you, it will uh, frighten you what they're doing. And it's firsthand accounts of people who are living it. So um, get your hands on that copy, please. Yeah, so again, I'll send out the link after um, and you can uh, reserve your book. We did record this, so it will be on our uh, website afterwards. If you have any people that you think would be interested in watching this, I know we already have a handful mm -hmm. that we're gonna send mm -hmm. it to. And then since we know this is such an 
important topic and it's very loaded, we decided to take the topics on marijuana and break them out to an hour and a half presentation. So starting March 17th will be our first one. Um, and you can see he's going to talk about if you're not familiar with all the different types of marijuana, he's going to talk about that. Then we have Ben coming in to talk about the commercialization. Uh, Joe McGuire is going to talk about how legalization is going to impact workplaces. Uh, and then Dr. Aaron Weiner is going to talk about the medical marijuana. And last, Matt Quinn, who's a regular in our series, he's going to talk about the addiction part of it. So make sure you sign up for these. These are all free, just like they always have been. And uh, they will be recorded, so if you can't attend. But those will be starting March 17th. And again, thank you to our sponsors um, for helping us fund this presentation. And of course, thank you to Luke for all your knowledge you gave us today. I know we learned a lot. So with that, we do have a few questions. I'm just gonna stop share um, that people had. Great. So I'm gonna go back to when you were talking about the studies and it says, what is defined as regular use? Yeah, so great question. So regular use is typically um, like a weekly basis every few days. Um, so there's kind of a distinction between uh, daily or near daily use, and that's obviously, that's obvious daily, and then regular use, which is usually about a weekly basis, maybe a little bit more frequent than weekly. Um, and then we'll go to monthly and, and yearly, and that's typically how it's, it's broken out. Okay. Uh, was the Evoli just from the vitamin E or other chemicals too? Yeah, so great question as well. So they, a lot of people actually don't know this. So yes, vitamin E was a piece of this. It was about just under half of the cases resulted from this vitamin E acetate, uh, but they still don't know. There were a host of other impacts, um, you know, uh, pieces, components that caused the other half of the cases, and they're still looking into that. So a lot of people don't know that. They think it's kind of wrapped up and done, but um, actually the CDC is still investigating. Um, so we don't know what they'll find. I mean, it could be that it has to do with um, you know, the way THC is, uh, you know, turned into oil form, that could be a piece of it. Um, but what we really, I think the, the, the takeaway is, you know, the tobacco plant and tobacco leaf did not cause tons of cancers and millions of people to die a thousand years ago when people were smoking a thousand years ago, because, you know, we've had tobacco for thousands of years. Um, it started doing that about a hundred years ago when we had uh, the first ever commercialized model supply chain, this, the invention of the cigarette, the huge big tobacco industries that then shipped that out across the globe. And they did a lot of additives, nicotine and ammonia and a whole bunch of other carcinogens and other additives. Um, so that's when tobacco and cigarettes became these global killers. Um, we're starting to see that happen again. I think Ivali is just a great example of what happens when you allow these industries to do this stuff. Great. Um, does making it a protected class negate the safety exclusions for certain industries? Yes, that is the industry's goal. The industry's goal is, so the industry is putting out very, I mean, and I'm not just making this, you can look it up. Industry says they want to abolish drug testing. <laughs> and I, I actually would love to take you to the website of our biggest uh, you know, opponent group that is massive. They have hundreds of millions of dollars that they've um, been given by the industry and others. Um, and that's literally in their roadmap for the next five years is to abolish drug testing. So they don't want drug testing for anybody. Um, they don't want it for the transportation industry. They don't want it for schools. They don't want it for anything. What they say is you can responsibly use marijuana and uh, it's, you know, should be treated like alcohol and no big deal and blah, blah, blah. So um, unfortunately that is the end goal. Um, they're trying to, so what they do is 
and they may do this in Wisconsin, they typically will say, well, the bill has a provision saying, you know, companies that want to have zero tolerance policies, they can keep them. Okay. So they'll pass the bill with that provision in there, but then the industry will lobby and they will get the best lobbyists in the game to do this. Um, uh, they will lobby and have that provision pulled out later, um, which is what happened in, the, in Nevada. Wow. Okay. Um, somebody said, great presentation, very interesting. I would like to know more about Sam's goal and or what an ideal world would like in regards to marijuana. Is it total abstinence? Great question. So our mission is to reduce the use of marijuana with the vision of, a, you know, drug-free society is obviously what we're all, hopefully all fighting for. Um, so yeah, I mean, our, our ideal world is a society where people aren't using drugs at all, um, certainly not marijuana. Um, obviously, you know, realistically speaking, there are always going to be folks who are going to um, use. And so we want to try to connect those folks with, you know, places where they can get help. Um, knowing that nothing's going to be perfect, but we certainly think that while the current policies are not perfect, um, and we're actually advocating for a number of reforms to these policies, um, decriminalization, which I talked about, as well as more medical research, um, which there's a bill in Congress that we helped sponsor um, that actually passed the House and is working its way through the Senate right now to expand the research on the medical front, um, which we want to see happen. Um, so we are advocating for those proactive reforms, but you know, this idea of legalization is is also not the solution. So our ideal world is, you know, hopefully folks, you know, as few people as possible using marijuana. Um, we're not throwing people in the slammer for, you know, using small amounts of marijuana, but um, there is a carrot and a stick to help them get help to get off of that drug. Because um, I will tell you, it is a government interest to reduce the use of drugs because um, a society that is using uh, drugs, marijuana and other drugs, um, you know, at increased levels getting addicted, uh, is not a productive society. It's not a healthy society. Um, it hurts our country in more ways than one, and it destroys families. And so we, we want to see those things protected. Yeah. Um, what outcomes are we seeing for kids that were exposed in utero or via breast milk? Yeah. So uh, like I had mentioned, we'd seen, uh, I think it was one or two babies that had um, died uh, from, uh, you know, mothers who were using marijuana while pregnant, uh, which was very unfortunate, very sad. Um, we've also seen low birth weights. That's the most common outcome is very low uh, birth weights for child. The other issue we're seeing is, is like, I think it's, it's either an abnormally large head or a smaller head, one of the two, but um, that's another frequent uh, outcome we're seeing from pregnant mothers who are using marijuana, uh, you know, while they're pregnant. Um, while breastfeeding, uh, we do see negative outcomes there, but the research is very early. Um, so they're just advising them not to use it during breastfeeding at all. Um, it's a similar kind of thing to alcohol, but you know, a surprising number of people uh, use uh, drink alcohol while they're pregnant and they think it's no big deal, um, which it's like we've got enough problems with our existing legal drugs. <laughs> do we really need to add another one and say, you know, have this confusion for pregnant mothers? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, since the potency is so high, how long does the marijuana affect a person's ability? That's another good question. And to be honest with you, we don't really know. Um, the research tells us that, you know, you'll hear the 30 day number out there that, um, you know, it'll stay in your bloodstream for 30 days. In terms of impairment and its impact on your mind, we don't know. Some people, they, you know, it's like an hour and then they're not impaired. Other people, it's, you know, it'll have impacts for weeks. Um, it's really dependent on the person and a lot of other factors. So there, there's no real uh, tried and tested rule there. And that's why, uh, you know, there's just so much we don't know. And, it, and it's like, well, if a pilot smokes a joint or, you know, eats an edible or whatever, it gets high the night before, 12 hours before they're going to take a flight, uh, you know, um, pilot a flight. Are they going to be impaired? Is there an issue? 
um, you know, those are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about. <coughs> okay, um, there have been some reports that China is working with Mexican cartel regarding opioids. Does this collaboration or other international focuses have an impact on the marijuana industry? And how does US addictions help other countries? Yeah, very interesting question. Um, I, I can't say the impact of China's work with Mexico, you know, what that's related to with marijuana. But what I can tell you is we have both Mexican and Chinese cartels that are selling black market weed in the, in the United States. So that, that is a big issue. Um, and, and in fact, there is both a Mexican and a Chinese cartel that have come to Colorado and are doing this, um, which is, is really crazy. Um, but, you know, in terms of what that does internationally, um, you know, I would say personally that it decreases the productivity of our workforce and it makes us less competitive with the international community. No other country in the world other than Canada has legalized marijuana. So we are, our states, the few states that have legalized it are the only ones that have done it and the, and the, and the uh, country uh, in Canada, <laughs> literally. And there are about 300 countries in the world. <laughs> so everyone else is, is prohibiting this, this drug and, and not allowing the sales of it. Um, and so, you know, there is something to be said for that. Are there any reports of allergies to marijuana? I'm sure there are. I, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's a good one to look into. I'm sure we'll, we'll see some stuff on that. Um, but yeah, yeah none mm -hmm. that I know of. Um, let's see here. Would legalizing growing marijuana in our own homes reduce some of these problems? You know, it's yeah, so home grow, that's obviously there's a big movement for home growing of marijuana. Um, you know, I would I would caution that just simply because I mean it, again, any kind of allowance for production of marijuana, growing of marijuana comes with a host of unintended consequences. So from a liberty perspective, you know, you see the argument for decriminalization of use and possession. You also see the argument for, okay, they, maybe they can grow a plant or something like that in their backyard. But the issue is that um, it's just very difficult to enforce when cartels are using that to their advantage. And so the great example is the example I gave earlier of, uh, you know, cartels buying homes in Colorado, gutting them and turning them into black market grow, uh, grow houses. Um, who's to say, you know, cause it's not like the cartel set up a sign out front that says, you know, welcome to the you know, Mexican or Chinese cartel and you know, here's our grow house. Um, so, you know, people think these are normal homes. So law enforcement has no way of knowing um, other than some tools that they've developed uh, recently uh, of knowing, okay, this, is, this isn't somebody exercising their right to grow at home. This is a grow house. Um, so that is very difficult to enforce and to regulate. So it does create a lot of headaches um, at the end of the day, home grow is not the worst thing in the world. I would take home grow before I would take commercialized marijuana, uh, but I don't think either are very productive policies. Okay. Um, do you also believe that alcohol should be illegal? <laughs> no, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a great question. And, and obviously I hear these two drugs compared. So let me, let me tell you the, the two reasons for why uh, alcohol and marijuana are totally different. Um, first of all, nobody thinks it's, it would be a great idea if everybody drank tons of alcohol. Okay, so alcohol is not legal because it's healthy. <laughs> it's not legal because it does great things for us. Um, in fact, it's a huge problem in our society. It's the number one uh, um, uh, uh, drug involved in arrests. Um, the top arrest reason is related to alcohol, you know, whether it's public use, intoxication, fighting, et cetera. Alcohol is a huge problem in this country. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. It's not uh, a great policy we have with alcohol, you know, people using it's not a great idea. However, um, more than 60% of this country 
uses alcohol in some way, shape, or form. So we can't put 60% of this country in jail, obviously, and that's what we ran into with the prohibition era. Um, and so that is an issue. The other, uh, the other reason why it shouldn't be illegal is because it's, um, you know, a, a tried and tested, you know, multi-thousand year, uh, you know, established drug, or, you know, um, it is a drug, but uh, something that's been used for thousands of years by cultures and traditions, and it's a part of Western society. So that's just kind of a, a, a fact that we can't change. And that's just a deal with the devil that we did. And we need to kind of just continue to try to reduce its impact as much as possible. Uh, but marijuana, while it's been around for thousands of years, has not been this kind of social mainstay in society the way that alcohol has. And you can't make an argument that would be convincing to anybody to say that it is. So clearly marijuana is different. Very few people in this country use it still, especially compared to alcohol and tobacco. Very, very few people use marijuana on a regular basis. Um, about half of Americans have tried it, but most of them don't go on and continue using it. So um, it's something we can still continue to um, try to reduce and keep it as little as possible. And we should. Great. Awesome. Well, that is all the questions that I have for you. Um, thanks so much for sticking around and answering them. Um, so I really appreciate all your time today, Luke. Thank you, Ashley. And everyone at Your Choice, you all are doing fantastic, fantastic work. Um, please keep up the great work virtually. Um, and God bless each and every one of you. I really appreciate your time on the webinar today. And I hope you're safe and sound and, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks, Luke. Congrats Thanks. on the new baby, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's a wild house over here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See you later. Bye.